You know, one of the things that men were confronted with this past weekend in the men's conference is that being a Christian and going to church is not about learning just a set of values about how to be a good person, how to be faithful to your spouse or a good employee, whatever. And all those things are a part of that. But being a Christian is really about having a relationship and walking in a relationship, living in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about somehow getting to a certain point where we've mastered certain values, but it's about living in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we've been on a journey learning some things about that particular dimension. How is it that we really have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And, and one of the components in that is that we, is prayer. If we don't learn how to talk to God, and be, we're never going to be really connected to God. If we're not in relationship with God via communication, we're going to struggle to really live in a close, intimate relationship with God, which is what he really wants. So we spent a few weeks talking about prayer. And then we focused on, and we're going to complete today, a study on how do we figure out God's will for our lives. And we've been through a journey on that. And we'll wrap some things up related to that today. And next week, we're going to start a series that's going to take us all the way through Easter. And it's coming out of the Gospel of Mark. And the simple focus is this, getting to know Jesus. Getting to know Jesus. We're going to work through the 16 chapters of the Gospel of Mark, and we're just going to be looking at who Jesus is so that you and I can get to know Jesus, so that as we talk to God, pray through Jesus Christ, try to walk in his will, we know what we're moving towards, which is the person of Jesus Christ and living in relationship with him. But I asked for some feedback a couple of weeks ago about kind of what, what has God been saying to you through this journey that we've been on of learning, you know, about how to live in relationship with God. You know, again, because once we, once we answer the very first and most important question in our lives, is there a God? The second question that really confronts us then is, what does this God want me to do? And we've been working through that journey. And part of that has been related to prayer. And some of that's been related to figuring out God's will. But I want just to share some of the responses that I got. This isn't all of them. And if you submitted a response, don't get nervous. They're all anonymous, right? And I'm not going to look at you, right? Say, it's that person, no names, but you know, just that person over there in the third seat. No, I'm not going to do that to you. But here are some of the things we got back on, on prayer, all right? One of those is this. The person wrote me back and says, you know what? One of the things that's really struck me and it's changing the way I pray, is that in order to pray like Jesus, we have to come to a point where we have an all-encompassing, all-consuming passion to obey God's will. You know, and that was one of our big points. Until you and I are really mesmerized and consumed with the journey of obeying God and walking in relationship with Him, we'll never really pray the way we're supposed to. Second truth, that there was this inseparable connection between doing God's will and praying. In essence, if we don't pray, we really can't do God's will because that's a part of God's will, right? And interesting piece. Third one, the most helpful insight has been opening my eyes to the passion that Jesus Christ had to pray. And this is what this person said at the end. It says, I want that passion in my life, and I'm praying for that. I don't know what you're asking for, but I'm hoping that's what you're asking for, that you'll have a passion to talk and be as connected to God as Jesus Christ was. This last one said, I've been praying more than before this series, 
And here's the idea that's really governing this. He says, I was struck by the idea of needing to be engaged in something that can only succeed if the Lord's in it. We're not really going to pray the way we need to pray until we are focused in our lives on things that can only come to pass because God shows up and does them. If we're setting our goals on things that we can orchestrate, we're never really going to pray the way we need to. We need to be focused on the things that only God can do. So just a reminder, God's calling us into that connection to pray to him. Here's, here's some of the pieces that have come back on God's will, and it's, it was interesting. These kind of moved in a lot of different directions. You know, one of them made me feel really good because this is what we've been hammering on, right, is the idea is that they keep coming back to the idea that God is far more concerned with who I am and who I am becoming than just what I do. I mean, that's what we've been hammering. Most of God's will for our lives is related to our identity and our character. It's not whether or not at 9.37 on Tuesday morning I should go to the Dunkin' Donuts or the Starbucks. That's not the focus of God's will. God's will is who are you as you're walking into either one of those. And I would really recommend Rwandan coffee over either one of those. So second thing, what has struck me in this series so far is that God's will is not near as complicated as I tend to make it, right? My human nature wants to make it complicated, but through the Holy Spirit, it's actually rather simple. It's not what we do. It is God shaping our character and our relationship with Christ, right? And a and, and, couple of things. So this next one, the, this individual has been doing some reading in addition to what we were doing, and, and part of what they were frustrated with was like, you know, they, they start off their day with all these plans of what they need to accomplish, and then their day just kind of gets blown up, right? Just gets blown up. And that happens to a lot of us, right? And here's, here's, the, here's the thought that came to them about these interruptions or the day getting blown up. This is what God's been laying on their sense. So, so in this sense, this is what I'm learning. I'm seeing that the things that come to me during the day, I'm seeing those more as God's will for my life at the moment and less like nuisances or interruptions to my own will. In other words, this is the journey that God has me on, and I need to figure out how to be the person in the midst of those moments, even though it's not going the way I had it planned for that day. And some of you who have children, you can relate to this, right? You know, especially little ones. Another one I want to lay out to you. So, for sure, I already know that God's will is spelled out for me in his word, and that I need to be more fully and intentionally open. I need, to, I need to more fully and intentionally open my heart again so that I can hear him. Sometimes it's not that we, it, the problem is, is that we're not really listening. It's not that God's not speaking. And that's what they were hammering away on that. This one I really loved, right? Because this really kind of got at the heart of it. It says, person said, on more than one occasion, I've said to God, I know, I know what God wants me to do, but I'm not going to do it. He'll just understand, right? And I had no idea how disrespectful that was until I heard it from the pulpit. And you can be assured that sentence will never again come from my lips. A lot of times we do. We hear God speak to us. We have a sense of conviction. And we say, yeah, God understands. I can't do that right now. How do you like that when your kids say that to you, right? (laughs) So just put that a little higher. One last truth, and I want to build off of this last one. 
And, and this is the one, one of the ones when you get it, when you read this as a pastor, you just kick back in your chair and say, yes, Lord, thank you. It says, my whole life, I've made mistakes and knew something was missing. So I just keep looking and trying. Then I finally found the answers at Hope Chapel and in the Bible. And those are the kinds of things just, just it, it makes it all worth it. And, and to see that coming alive. But there's a theme in this last statement that I want to build off for today. This individual indicated, I've made mistakes. What do you do when you feel like you've so sabotaged God's will for your life that you feel like you can never get back there? It's like you're, you're standing on the shore and God's will is across the river and there's no way to navigate it and you just blew up the bridge. How is it that we can get back to a place where we're really connected and, and back into God's will? You know, some of us, when we think about God's will for our lives, the first thought that comes to mind is, I already missed it. I already missed it. I should have done this thing 25 years ago. I missed this opportunity. I should have married this person. I should have taken it. And we look at this. I just missed it. And listen, undoubtedly, and this is not an encouragement, undoubtedly, we, as God's human creation, made in God's image, where as a part of his will, he's given us the responsibility and the capacity to make choices, you and I have an incredible ability to mess up <laughs> our lives, do we not? We have an incredible ability to mess up our lives, and sometimes we mess up the lives of a lot of people around us. You know, we, we just, we just, we, we have an ability just to, to mess things up incredibly, right? And, and this is not a foreign phenomenon to the scriptures. You see this over and over again in the scriptures. And, you know, you know, and listen, you know, one of the, and I, I think I've told this story before, but a few years ago, we had an individual who, who started attending Hope Chapel just a little bit never really introduced themselves to anybody, kind of stayed by themselves or whatever. And one day, as only pastors can do, I pinned them down out in the lobby before they left, right? You know, and they were on my radar, and, you know, as a shark, I went for the attack. And, and, I, and I talked them into coming in and, and meeting me in my office. And this individual came in and sat down. And, and here, through the whole discussion, here was the theme that came across. I have done some things that are so bad that God can never really forgive and love me again. I have done some things that are so bad, I, and, and I'm laying out all the grace stuff and Jesus on the cross. But pastor, you don't understand. The things that I've done are really bad. You don't understand. The things that I've done are really bad. Sometimes you and I feel like we're in a place where there's no way back to walk on the right path with God. And First of all, I want to tell you, you're not in bad company. You, you, there's a lot of people who have walked that road. I, I, I kind of just, just give you a few biblical examples here along the way. You know, about our ability as God's creation, made in his image, entrusted with the responsibility to make choices, we have the ability to really mess things up, right? And you see that over and over again in the scriptures. You know, sometimes we're just like Jonah right? The Jonah syndrome, I call this. Some of you know the story of Jonah, prophet in the Old Testament. God shows up in his life. He says, Jonah, I got a job for you. 
This is my will for you. There's a nation to the north and to the east that needs needs to be challenged to repent or I'm going to bring judgment on them. And they were the enemies of Israel. Jonah knew that if he went and did what God asked him to do, there was a chance that they could be forgiven. Jonah didn't want them forgiven. He wanted them destroyed. So God says, go northeast, and Jonah goes southwest. Some, some of us, in that, in that ever been that kind of thing? God says, go this way, and we say, I'm going this way. <laughs> I, I don't want to do this, right? God says, go this way, and we go this way. We run in the opposite direction. I, I remember when I was in seminary, there was a guy in my class, you know, or it took, was taking classes at the same time I was. Some guys were there for 10 years, right? You know, and that family working, sometimes serving churches and just taking a class. But this guy was here. And I, so, I, you know, I was 23, 22 when I started. And this guy was like in his mid to late 40s. And I, I remember one time, I didn't really know him well, but one time we landed up having coffee together in, in, the, in the cafeteria. You know, and he told me, he says, I should have been here 25 years ago. He said, right, at, right when I was coming out of college, I knew that God was calling me into ministry, but I was convinced that if I came to seminary, God was going to send me to Africa as a, ministry, as a missionary, and I didn't want to go to Africa as a missionary. So I have tried every other kind of job out there, right? And, and so God says, go this way, and he's running that way. Some of us have been there, right, for lots of different reasons. We're going to, we got the Jonah syndrome going on. The second is the Israelite syndrome. You know, we just got done studying the book of Exodus, Right? We left them in the book, at the end of the book of Exodus where they had just entered into covenant with God and the tabernacle had been completed so God could journey with them. Well, when they left Sinai, they went to a place called Kadesh. And God said, all right, this is the entry point into the promised land. So guys, go out, spy out the land, get a good feel for it, come back, give a report, and from there we'll move in and take it. Some of you know the story that goes on there in Numbers chapters 12 and 13 and 14, right in that area, right? The 12 guys go out, they spy out the land, they bring back, you know, samples of the fruit and harvest and stuff, and it's, it's just mind-boggling great compared what what they're used to and et cetera. And, and, and 10 out of the 12 say, but there's a problem, right? There's a problem. There's a lot of people, they're big people, and they have big cities, and we don't stand to prayer if we go up, Right? God's saying go, and they're saying no. God's saying go, and they're saying no. Two guys, Caleb and Joshua, said, hey, listen, God's going to give us the land. Let's go, man. It's, it's, it's worth taking, right? Think of the, you know. The other 10 are like, nope. Guess who the people believed? They believed the 10, right? So God's saying go, 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 and they're saying no, no, no. Right? And, and I, you know, and you could follow out the whole thing. And, and they're not the only ones. You know, you, you say kind of thing, you could bring in the story of the rich young ruler. Some of you know that story from the New Testament where there's a guy, he, he's wealthy, but he's, he's really been pursuing God, if you will. He's trying to be faithful. He wants to be, you know, and, and, he, and he comes to Jesus and says, what do I got to do to inherit life and in eternal life? And Jesus kind of runs through some of the requirements. You know, you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, that kind of stuff. And he said, man, I've been doing all that stuff. And Jesus said, well, you got one thing that stands in the way. You're more wed to what you own than to walking with God. So you got to go sell all you have and come follow me. And God... And he says, I can't do that. God says, go. 
He says no. You and I sometimes live in that place, right? You know, and this last quote, one of the last quotes that I use, God speaks to us. I know this is what God wants me to do, but I can't do that. He'll understand. God says go, we say no. So those of you who have never done that, you can raise your hand. Say, I think we're in good company, right? So we got some things to learn for us today. Another, another syndrome, the Peter syndrome, right? The apostle Peter. And, and we, you know, we, we read about his three denials and those kinds of things. And, you know, so here's the whole dynamic, right? Jesus is at the end of his life. He's telling his disciples what was going to happen. And he says, listen, guys, stuff's going to start happening in the next few hours, and all of you are going to scatter. All of you are going to scatter. And Peter steps up and says, you know what? These 11 guys may be scoundrels, but I'm going nowhere, right? You know, they're, 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 when, when it comes to I'm up here and they're down there somewhere, right? And he overestimates his level of spiritual conviction, his courage, his character. And then what happens? When the moment comes, it's, I don't know that guy. I don't know that guy. I don't know that guy, Right? And, and some of us live in that place. We, we, we have a tendency to overestimate just where we are, and then all of a sudden we are confronted with just how off the charts we are, that we're not really in the place where we need to be. You know, um, I, I, just to give you an example, and I, again, I think I've told this story years and years ago, but it just came back to my mind this week. I had a friend of mine that served in the city of Chelsea for a number of years. And, you know, for those of you... You know, it's, it's probably changed or whatever, but back then, Chelsea was one of the highest crime cities in the United States, in, in, in the United States, but certainly in Boston. And here was a guy who was raising three children, and he went there to be a pastor, pastor in this little church. And the church was just about dead. I mean, I had done a little bit of work with them the summer beforehand, and he kind of came in to kind of pick up from there, and maybe he was going to stay, maybe he wasn't, and he ended up staying for like a decade, and it was like four or five people, and within you know it, it was, it was a congregation of a couple hundred people, it was thriving, it was doing a lot of great ministries, and some really neat stuff was happening, right? And, 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 and I'll never forget him sharing in, in, a, in a gathering we in one day, he says, you know, there was a time about a decade into it, and all this great stuff was going on. And he's patting himself on the back like Peter. And he said he was walking through one of the neighborhoods in Chelsea one day. And he said, God just said to him, you know what? You've done all of this out of pride. You've done all of this out of pride. It, it, it makes you look good that you're in the tough place serving Jesus. It's been all out of pride. You know, and it's just one of these moments where he's just confronted Right with it, and 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 where he thought he was way up here, he realized he was way down here, and there was just a sense of brokenness in the midst of all of that. Then there's the King David syndrome. Let me back up to that one. Here, here, here's part of what is it. some of you right now you're looking and say, I, I have made a commitment to change over and over and over again, and now I just don't want to even do it anymore. Right? I mean, this is the struggle sometimes we have with people who struggle with addictions, right? And they fall over and over and over again. And after a while, it's just like, I, I, I just can't believe you anymore. Right? And, and sometimes we start thinking of that about ourselves. Like the series on prayer. Somebody said, you know what? I, I, I've been convicted about my prayer life a hundred times, and nothing's ever going to change. And, and we just get gun shy, right? Well, this last one is King David. Some of you know the story. 
comes out of 1 Samuel chapters 11, 12, 13, right in there. A little backstory, David is a nobody. He's the youngest guy in a big family in an unimportant clan. And God steps into his life and brings him to the surface. He not only slays Goliath, but he becomes the second king of Israel. And God is just blessing him, right? And, and they're able to take Jerusalem. They're able to set up the capital. You know, all, and great stuff's happening, right? And then David gets to a place where he's neglecting what he's supposed to be doing. And his spiritual failure is just a huge face plant. You know, and, and if you know the story, he, he's supposed to be out with his, his army on the front lines fighting the enemies of God, if you will. And instead, he's at home, lounging around on his rooftop, and he notices the beauty that's around him, one beauty in particular by the name of Bathsheba. And he, and he, and he commits adultery with her. And then, to make it, then to cover up his trail, he brings home the husband from the front lines because she's pregnant. They don't want anybody to know what happened. So he, if her husband goes into her while he's home on leave from the front, you know, then, then that'll all get covered up. And he's too much of a man of character. He won't do that. He says, with all of my colleagues out at the front line, I am not going to go into my wife. So David sends them back to the front line and has them basically executed. He sends them out to the front lines. Everybody draws back, so it's one against the whole army. And Uriah lands up dead. David immediately takes Bathsheba as his wife so he can cover the child. And then he's confronted by the prophet Nathan. And... And, and there are times when you and I have been to that place, right? We, we, you, you know what? I, I've been a Christian since I was in college or in high school or whatever. But man, I look at the things that I did that I knew were wrong from God and I did them anyways. And say, I'm never going to get back in on God's will for my life. I've just messed it up too bad. Is there really any hope for us? When you think about God's will and who you're supposed to be and the journey you're supposed to be on and you think about all the different ways that we maybe have blown it along the lines, is there really any hope for us? And the answer I want to give you today is definitely. Definitely. Because of who God is and what God has done in Jesus Christ, there is hope. Because of who God is and what he has done, there is hope for us. Listen to this passage from Lamentations. When was the last time you heard a quote from Lamentations, right? Lamentations, right after Jeremiah. You know, the, 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 the Lord's loving kindness never ceases. His compassions, they never fail. They are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. God's compassions never fail, right? For you, Lord. Now, this is really interesting. This is God inspiring David, the guy that we just read about, right? The guy that we've talked about who had this huge spiritual face plant, just blew up everything that he said was important to him, right? Did exactly the opposite and took it all the way to the point of murder. This guy, God inspires him to write these words for us so that you and I can get it. He says, for you, Lord, are good and you're ready to forgive. You're ready to forgive. So I want to talk just a little bit about how it is that you and I can get back to a place. The recovery mode, if you will, of how do we get to, you know, I, I've wandered off the path. I mean, God wants me over here, and I, and I feel like I'm way over here, right? 
you know, and, 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 it, and there's no way back. I've blown up the bridge. There's no way across the river. God, God's will is over there, and I'm just going to have to settle for second best the rest of my life. How, how do you get back? How does David get back? Right? He, he's blown it up. He's confronted by Nathan. It's all laid bare, and, and he, he, he is not a man after God's own heart in those moments. How do you get back? And a great place for us to go is David's response to all that. Grab a Bible, would you? Psalm 51. Grab a Bible. Psalm 51. If you're using one of the Bibles that are underneath your chair, it's page 480. Page 480. Psalm 51. I want to read this passage for us, and then I want to share with you what I think are the steps to recovery for us as God's people so we can get back into the heart of God's good and perfect and pleasing will for our lives. Psalm 51. Let me read all 19 verses, and then I'll go back and draw some observations for us, right? Listen to Be gracious, God, according to your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Wash away my guilt. Cleanse me from sin. This is what David's doing in response to being confronted with a sin by the prophet Nathan. He's saying to God, be gracious to me according to your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Wash away my guilt. Cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion. And my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my father, mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self. And you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let, my, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all of my guilt. Just erase it right out of the book. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and give me a willing spirit. Then, then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You don't want a sacrifice or I'd give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humble heart. In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let me give you four things I think you need to really process to recover from wandering out of God's will for your life, to get back to a place where you feel like you're in the bullseye of what God wants you to be doing and who he wants you to be while you're doing it. Let me give you four things I think you need to think about. 
And listen, it can't get any worse than where David was. David was a guy who had undeserved blessings from God off the charts, right? And he threw it all away and spat in the face of God and did a spiritual face plant. And out of that experience, he learned some things, and God used him to teach us. And here's some things you need, the first, the first things I want you to do. The very first thing you have to do is you've got to own your mess. You've got to own it. And, and, and here's what I mean by We live in a time when we want to blame anything and anybody else rather than taking responsibility for ourselves. Right? We want to say, well, you know, it was my parents did that to me, or it was the environment, or the circumstances, or whatever, or other people, or that's just the way it is, etc. And, and look, what, look what David does. David here, he owns it. He's not running from it. He's not sugarcoating it. He's not trying to minimize it. He's owning it. And, he, and, and you look through those first four verses, he, owns, he, he, he doesn't pull any punches. He says, you know what? It's sin. It's a transgression, it's a trespass, it's an iniquity, you know, it's evil. He uses all four of those terms. He's not sugarcoating it. He understands that what he's done is absolutely wrong in the eyes of God, and he's got no excuses. And in the days that David lived, this could have been a king's prerogative, right? Could have been a king's prerogative. Hey, you know what? It's my kingdom, they're my subjects. He doesn't do any of that kind of stuff. He owns it, right? Not only that, but he, he, he looks at God and, and he, he, he admits what the core of his sin is. It's against God. You know, if I do something wrong, sinful, it's not just that I'm letting my wife down. I'm offending God. I think there's a lot of ways in which we, we feel like, well, right, I got to go apologize to this person and rebuild all that kind of stuff. And we forget that what we've done is, is an affront to God. It's against you, you only. <laughs> Have I messed up? Have I sinned? Right? And, and, and so it's till we get to that point to say, you know what? And, and, and it go back to our quote. God's saying to me, you should do this. And I'll say, nah, I can't do that. He'll understand. And I don't think we really appreciate just how disrespectful that is of the God who's speaking to us. And we need to own that, that we really are slapping him in his face, you know? And, 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 and he owns it, says, you know, and, and not only is this something I've done, this is who I am. I, I am sinful. You know, I, 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 I was born this way, right? This is the way I was when I was one day old and is the way I am today. I am sin- he owns his mess, right? He's not running from it. He's not trying to blame it on anybody else. He's not trying to minimize it. He owns it. And, and, and I got to tell you, I, I, I think we struggle with that. Because sometimes we, we feel some conviction and we feel like we've really dealt with our sin. That's not the same thing. This, this is a deep look inside, and he's saying, you know what? I'm broken. I'm broken. And God's the only one who can fix it. The second thing that he really does is he, he agrees with God. He says, God, you know what? If you, if you were to judge me right now, you'd be right. If, if you were just to, to take my life and to, you know, whatever, you'd be, you'd be right. When you judge, you would be just. And, and he agrees with I think sometimes we struggle. Let me use the word I struggle to say, you know what? I know this is wrong in the eyes of God, but I don't necessarily see it that way. But because he's bigger than I am, I'll go along. 
You never get that feeling, right? You know, sometimes we, when we think about some of the struggles we struggle with in our lives in terms of worldliness and other kinds of things, I think one of the, t- the things we get is like, I know God has said this wrong. This is what I shouldn't do, whatever. And it could be related to our money or our sexuality or our language or our lies that we tell or the way we manipulate stuff or whatever. We say, you know, I, I know this is wrong in the eyes of God, but it's really just not that big of a deal. But yeah, 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 God, I get it. You don't want me to be doing that. When, when we're at that place, I, I, it's really hard for us to recover. But when we say, you know what, God, you're right. You got it right. And I'm wrong. Right? We got to own our mess and we got to agree with God. Right? Third thing, we got to ask for mercy. We got, we got to ask for mercy. Believing that God's going to grant it because He will. But we got to ask for mercy. You know, <laughs> Verse 1, he starts right out. He's, he's, he's getting into this. You know what, God? According to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, forgive me. And look at the police. He's got blot out, wash, purify me, clean me up, create a clean heart within me, restore the joy of my salvation. He is pleading for God's mercy. And, and, and you and I need to get to that place where we plead. We ask for God's mercy. In order to get off the trail where we're way over here and get back into the center of God's will for our lives, being the people that God wants us to be, we've got to plead for his mercy. We've got to understand what it is that we've done. We've got to own it, agree with God that it's not the way to be, and we've got to ask for God's mercy. And he's ready to grant it. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. He died to sin. He died for all of our mess-ups related to God's will. He died to sin once for all, the just for the unjust, so that you and I right, can become the righteousness of God in him. We can get back into the center of God's will. God is ready to provide his mercy. We've just got to ask for it. Not giving a lip service is going to be the plea of our heart. We've got to plea for God's mercy. One last statement I'd give you on how to get restored is this. You've got to be ready to be different. You've got to be ready to serve God. You've got to be ready to follow God. I don't know if you noticed when I was going through this, right, that, that I, I, I used a little inflection around verse 13. You know, then he, that word starts with then, right? It says, listen, God, I, I'm asking you to do this stuff, and I, it's not like I'm just going to stay over here and never change when you, when you do this, when you, I've owned my sin, I'm, I, I understand what it is, I'm agreeing with you that this is wrong in your eyes, it's not the way to go, that kind of stuff, and I'm pleading for your mercy. When that moment comes, this is what I'll do. I'll teach the rebellious your ways. And I'll lead sinners to return to you. You know, and then I'll sing your praises. I'll speak of your righteousness. In my lips will declare your praise. You, you, you got to be ready to walk with God. It, 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 God's not ready just to kind of erase your past. God is, wants you to step into the future he has for you. And, and some of you this morning, you're sitting here, maybe all of us are in a place where we say, you know what, th- th- there are parts of my journey with God that just aren't right. And therefore, I'm struggling to really live in his will. And God is reaching out to us to say, you don't have to stay there. There's a way back home. You don't have to stay there. There's a way back home. You don't have to stay there. There is a way back home. One one of my 
favorite expressions, and it wasn't original with me, but I've never forgotten, is that the substance of God's grace means this, that your life isn't governed by your past, it's governed by your future. The substance of God's grace in your life is that what you've done, who you might have been, all those kinds of things, that stuff, it, it, that's not what's going to determine your life going forward. What's going to determine your life is God's grace. God's grace means that our lives are not determined by our past. They're determined by our future. And God invites us to step forward into his future. Inside of your handouts today, there's a commitment card. And, and we're going to just have a brief time of response and... and, and if you're new, visiting with us for the very first day, you think, well, it's a little freaky. We, we don't do this all the time. But we, we really do believe that there are moments in our journey with God where we need to make up our minds, draw a line in the sand, and we need to step over it and never go back. And we believe, I believe, today is one of those moments for us and for you. And so my challenge to you is we're going to take a couple of minutes and just let you prayerfully think about the commitment that you need to make today to step forward into God's will for you. And then we're going to have some time where we sing. And I'm going to invite you to come and, and treat the platform as an altar, right? And, and I'm going to invite you to come, if you're able, to come and, and you can kneel and pray for just a moment or you can stand. And, and I invite you just to, to lay your card on the altar with this commitment. There's no names on them. We'll collect them afterwards. We'll pray through them as a staff. I'll share them with our elders and some other leaders. And, and, but here, here, the, here, here is one of the commitments you need to make, may, may need to make more than one. But here's what I believe God's asking you to do. Some of us, for the very first time, or in order to get back into God's journey of living in his will, we need to embrace God's forgiveness. Some of you, that's the step you need to take today. You, you, you need to embrace God's forgiveness for the very first time. You, you, you need to agree with God that, that, you know, I'm a good person, but ultimately that I'm really a sinner in need of grace. I, I'm not doing all of what God wants me to do, be, primarily because I'm not relating to God the way he wants me to. You need to embrace God's forgiveness and get back on the journey. Others of you say, you know what, I, I need to just simply commit myself to do what I already know I need to do, be doing. Stop focusing, all the st- stop focusing on all the stuff you don't know about what God wants you to do and what the future's going to look like, and just obey what you already know that God's asked you to do. Some of you need to make that commitment. Third, some of you need to say, you know what, I, 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 I just need to focus on being who God wants me to be. When I think about myself as a, maybe as a spouse or as a student or as a colleague or as a mother or mother as a father, as a son or a daughter, I'm just not being the person I need to be. And, and, and I just need to focus on being who I'm supposed to be and, and, be doing, and doing the things the way he wants me to do them, how he wants me to do them. Some of you may need to just step up and say, I, I need to begin serving. You know, I, I just need to find my way to make a contribution to the kingdom. And you need to step up for that. And then there's a place for other. You, you, there may be some other commitment that you need to make today. But I believe this is one of those moments. I mean, and, and this is one of those moments like Jesus looked at the disciples one by one and he says, come follow me. It was a moment of decision. That's the moment I think we face today. He, he, he said the same thing to the rich, wrong ruler. Go sell all you have and come follow me. It was a moment of decision. 
Joshua challenged the people before, as they moved into the promised land. He says, choose this day whom you're going to serve. There is a moment for us to make a choice and not look back. And I'm challenging you to make that choice today and to not look back, to take a step back into the bullseye of God's will for your life. Let's pray for just a minute, and then we'll have our time of response. God, I really pray in these moments we would just set our inhibitions aside. I think sometimes we think, well, what are the people down the road going to think? And I got to climb over them. Or, you know, I don't want. God, I just really pray we'd set all that stuff aside, not make this at all about us, and make this about responding to you. God, I, I really don't know the condition of all the folks that are here, but I know where I'm at. And I, knew some, I know some fresh commitment from me is important as well. So God, in these moments, we want to give your spirit freedom to guide us, to embrace your forgiveness, to make new commitments, Father, to follow you. So God, I pray for these next few moments that we would give you freedom in our lives and that we would recover from the ways that we've messed up and we would walk in faith with you. For I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.